Imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons, wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery. You're listening to True Crime Feed. Welcome to True Crime Feed. I'm your Chief Pod Investigator, Angela Ferrari. Each week on my show, I select one of my favorite underrated true crime podcasts and do a deep dive dish. I also present my top three podcast power ranking of shows currently trending on the top 100 charts that I think are worth your attention. Up first on the docket, here's a show from the archives I think you will really enjoy. Let's discuss the case for white saviors from Canada land. The story of a charity that did well when it was supposed to be doing good. Here's a synopsis. Over 25 years, we built a golden brand by inspiring children to rally around their charismatic leader. But behind the scenes, employees experienced a cult-like culture and a troubling blur of charitable and commercial activities. In the aftermath of a national scandal, thousands of donors and volunteers and dozens of celebrity ambassadors are left wondering where the money went and whether the savior industry creates a constant need for victims. Before you listen to this episode, go to truecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. There are tons of great pics of We Charity founder Craig Kielberger and his celebrity friends through the years promoting We Charity. What up, Selena Gomez? Hey there, Oprah! You do not want to miss these gems. Now, let's get down to it. The host, Alushala Adiogun, is a writer and broadcaster originally from Lagos, Nigeria. He has firsthand experience with NGAOs or non-governmental aid organizations. He sets the scene of a nameless NGAO arriving to a remote village in Nigeria, promising the locals a new sustainable fresh water system. A bougie ceremony and a swanky ribbon cutting ensue. Photos are taken of donors and organization members with beautiful smiling Nigerians amassing tons of likes on Instagram. Sounds splendid, right? 
they do everything except build the actual water system and instead move on to their next philanthropic photo shoot. Meanwhile, the people of this village are forgotten by their would-be humanitarian heroes. Of course, not all NGAOs are this negligent, but the White Saviors podcast poses the question, has one of Canada's most recognizable charities done more harm than good? Let's see how it all got started. We hop back to the mid-90s and meet a then-darling kid, 12-year-old Craig Kielberger, who starts a charity called Free the Children to help exploited youths from poor countries escape the bounds of child labor. He tours the country, giving motivational speeches and inspiring audiences all around the world. Really impressive so far. I don't know what you were up to when you were 12, but I think I was spending most of my days at that age downloading Jerky Boys tracks off Napster. So kudos to little Craig so far. Over the next two decades, the organization changes its name to We Charity and skyrockets to global acclaim. Influential celebrities join the cause like Oprah, you get a celebrity endorsement. Big corporations caught in scandals use the charity to rehab their image. Let's give it up for Dow Chemical, y'all. Plus, over 17,000 schools get involved with the quote, we movement. You can find tons of videos on YouTube under the keyword, the very best of we day, featuring Selena Gomez, the cast of Degrassi, and even Hanson. That's right, Hanson. You heard me, Hanson. That's how huge this thing got, and Craig Kielberger turns into a Canadian idol. The organization amasses thousands of volunteers, many who later describe exploitative labor practices and a cult-like working environment. The lines of charity and commerce become extra blurry when Kielberger launches Me to We, a for-profit lifestyle training and travel business that donates to its nonprofit operational costs. Are you following? Don't feel bad if the financials are confusing to you. I watched an interview of Craig Kielberger explaining his creative business model three times and I still didn't get it. Instead, I just felt like I had eaten a bag of paint chips. You will hear so many tantalizing tidbits on white saviors like We Charity hypocritically partnering with corporations accused of using child labor, or charity volunteers being encouraged to take vitamin B injections in the rump to help them endure the long hours of work. Have you ever considered injecting something into your butt for a job? A job you weren't actually getting paid to do? What if Taylor Hansen from Hansen was going to be performing at a Wee Day event later and you just needed a boost? <sighs> Tough choices. We Charity even launched an app for kids that promised for every download they would match an immunization to an underprivileged child without any mechanism in place to actually track or fulfill this pledge. It really makes you wonder how many charitable claims made by big organizations are actually fulfilled. But I think the final episode has the most crazy detail of all. It's called Chapter 5, The Bottom Line. 
This episode introduces us to the inside joke of the Velcro plaque. A joke made public after one donor accused We Charity of swapping out his plaque on a newly built school in Kenya with a different plaque to honor the next visiting benefactor instead of, you know, actually building a new school. All in all, We Charity claimed that they have erected over 1,500 schools, which is equivalent to one school every five days for over 20 years. Can you believe it? We Charity started winding down its operations in 2020 after a very public media scandal. The charity was tasked by the Canadian government to oversee $900 million for the Canada Student Service Grant. The whole deal was run over by a Zamboni when We Charity's ties to the Trudeau family were called into question as a possible conflict of interest. Of course, there are two sides to this very Canadian story. So after tuning into the series, I did some further snooping. On the one side, White Saviors is brought to us by indie news and podcast network Canada Land, founded by Jesse Brown, who is the primary investigative reporter on this story. Jesse Brown is a controversial figure in Canadian journalism. In addition to this show, the Canada Land team has covered stories on the dirty business of Canadian diamond mining, why the city of Thunder Bay had the highest homicide rate in the country, and a bizarre twisted tale about the Klondike Papers. Some of the stories are better than others, but most of the topics covered were brand new to me. Having grown up in a state that borders Canada my whole life, I always had the impression that the country was a drama-free exemplar compared to its hot mess of a neighbor, the United States. So any improprieties involving our neighbors to the north feel super less scandalous. Even though We Charity has appeared to have disbanded, there is a defamation lawsuit moving forward against the Canadian Broadcast Corporation. And according to Jesse Brown's Twitter page, Teresa Kielberger, mother of Craig, is threatening to sue Canada Land for $3 million. Here's another side to the story. Childhood friend and former board member Tafik S. Rangwala wrote the book what we lost as a rebuttal to the White Savior series. Rangwala argues the whole thing was just a misunderstanding, and We Charity was, quote, unwittingly caught in the crosshairs of a partisan fight that reflects the increasing Americanization of Canadian politics. What we lost is a cautionary tale of the collateral damage that can be leveled by unchecked partisan politics, social media pundits, and sensationalist headlines. Yeah, so that's another take. Canada Land's Jesse Brown and Tafik Rangwala have had some back and forth on Twitter. Side note, in addition to covering hard-hitting, impactful stories, Jesse Brown loves getting into fights on Twitter. You wouldn't believe the tweet storm eruption that happened when he sounded off that Vancouver is an uninspiring, insecure city that lacks culture. Oh, Canada. Canucks came out of the woodwork in defense of Vancouver, and this turned into a national news story after just starting out as a petty Twitter squabble. 
Aside from this, I personally side with Jesse Brown on the whole We Charity argument. I learned so much from the reporting on white saviors, and I think you will too. I was so embarrassingly naive on the potential wrongdoings of charities that I left this podcast feeling like I lost my pug in divorce court. The phrase that stuck with me the most, when charity becomes business, poor people become assets. Which brings me to the question, how do you select a charity to donate to? How do you know where the money is actually going? After listening, I found some sites like CharityWatch.org that rates charities based on how much of their budgets they spend on their philanthropic programs. Doing this gave me some optimism that there are still plenty of worthy causes actually doing good out there in the world. I am sure you have heaps of opinions about today's show. I especially want to hear from you if you ever attended a We Day event. On a scale from 1 to 10, how shiny was Taylor Hansen's hair? Email me directly at Angela at thetruecrimefeed.com. All emails are read. Not all can be replied to. Or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends. Stay tuned till after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Hey, True Crime Feed listeners, I have a teensy little ask of you. I need your help to grow my audience so I can keep the stories coming. So I'm asking you to take a moment and share True Crime Feed with five friends you think will enjoy the show. Like a fun, awesome pyramid scheme, but you still get to hang on to your money. Cool. And if you want extra gold stars, go to Apple Podcasts and write a review for True Crime Feed. I am an independent one woman show, and you taking a moment to do this will help me grow and compete with the big networks out there. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now back to the show. We are back. Here are the three shows currently trending that I think you will really enjoy. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. At the number three spot, we have Why Can't We Talk About Amanda's Mom? I mean, isn't the title alone just fantastic? Host Sarah Kalin divulges her three-year investigation into a puzzling murder that has remained unsolved and seems to have raised more questions than it has resolved. The details of the murder in episode one are incredibly graphic and really hard to listen to. If you can get through that part, the rest of the episode gets much easier. It's quite remarkable that host Sarah Kalin gets the full support of the Mobile County Sheriff's Office as she revisits the original investigation, digs up new evidence, and interviews new suspects. Kalin hopes to rectify the mistakes of the past and bring some answers to a family still struggling to make sense of what happened and uncover just why it's been so hard to talk about. Again, not always the easiest listen, and there are some quirky editing and sound design choices, but hey, I am all about taking creative swings with audio. At the number two spot, we have Bear Brook Season 2, falling from last week's number one position. Jason Carroll is serving life in prison for a murder he says he didn't commit. 
the only evidence against him, his own taped confession. Jeez, I can't believe it either, you guys. It's not that I don't adore this season of Bear Brook and Jason Moon's amazing reporting, but the second episode felt a little disjointed from the first. I was finding parts repetitive, but still hard to follow, if that makes sense. Maybe it was just me and I should have had another eight cups of cold brew. I don't know, but I am optimistic because I have heard teasers from the NHPR staff that future episodes get really wild. Jason Moon, still call me. And at the number one spot, who's it going to be? We have the girl in the blue Mustang. When 18-year-old Michelle O'Keefe is found murdered in her shiny new blue Mustang in a California park and ride, investigators encounter a confusing crime scene and a witness who seems to know too much. In Dateline's latest original podcast series, Keith Morrison takes us to the high desert outside of Los Angeles for a story featuring twists, turns, and a sharp-eyed Dateline viewer who steers the case in an entirely new direction. Yep, I am in complete agreement with the charts this week. This show is worth the hype. Not every Dateline spinoff series slaps, but this one does. Right off the bat, I feel super connected to Michelle O'Keefe and her family, her little brother especially. Keith Morrison does such a beautiful job treating the family with respect and telling an amazing story. I listened to the first two episodes, and just when I think I am sure of who the murderer is, they drop the coming up on clips that turns the case upside down. I can't wait to hear more from the girl in the blue Mustang. Keith Morrison, marry me! Now for my miss of the week. We have Deep Cover Season 3, Never Seen Again from Pushkin Industries. It's a show about people who live double lives. This season, a small-town detective gets a tip that leads him on an epic search. He believes he's uncovered an imposter, a fraud, a highly trained chameleon, a foreign spy. The federal government gets involved and a nationwide manhunt commences. No one can find her. And now she's telling her story. Should be awesome, right? Well, it's not. I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. I just feel super jerked around by this show. I won't spoil too much other than the person I thought would be the compelling subject of the show. Her story gets put on the back burner in exchange for another woman's narrative that I really, really had a hard time with. The show seemed to be glorifying her. I feel like some of you might actually enjoy the show, and at least I did for the first two episodes. But mid-episode three, I sent deep cover season three through my podcast trapdoor. Sorry about it! Find out next week if the Dateline spinoff series The Girl and the Blue Mustang will stay in the number one spot as the series continues, or if another show will take its place. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show fell through your podcast queue trap door. I will also be dusting off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next podcast fix. And that's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget. 
forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids from every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. I am a brand spanking new independent one-woman show, so if you like what you hear so far, please, please, please leave a review. Tell your fellow partners in crime to listen to True Crime Feed. Thank you so much for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feeding.